Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very emotional Rico Bronia because this is your final regular season edition of Rico Bronia. Hopefully there will be many postseason editions. There may not be. Who the hell knows? There may be a long, long, long offseason of Rico Bronias. But as far as the regular season is concerned, it is officially over. The New York Mets swept the Washington Nationals of a three-game series that a few days ago I didn't think was even going to occur. They do finish with 101 wins. This was a series that I don't know if you guys felt this way, especially after the Braves sealed the deal on Tuesday night. I was as emotionally checked out of a series as I've ever been because you know me, I'm scoring every game. I'm watching every pitch. I actually managed for the finale on Wednesday afternoon. It was delayed by two hours to watch as little of a Met game as I think I have in years. And I thought that was healthy. I thought that was really, really important for me to get away from that because it's been a long season. Hopefully it's going to be a long postseason run. So I treated the Wednesday afternoon game when it finally started a little after six o'clock as almost a spring, a late spring training game, not an early spring training game, early spring training games off. I'm into, I mean, score it. But when it's late March and we're about three or four days away from opening day, you couldn't pay me to watch a spring training game. And that's how I treated game 162. And I feel emotionally healthy for doing such a thing. Oh, it's important. It has to be. I think after the, and this is why I got a lot of crap from people like you're giving up on your team, especially after like, you know, there was still a chance they, they get the division. If the Braves lose and the Mets, win. all this nonsense. I'm like, I, I think for the loyal diehard fans like yourself, I, I put myself up there too. It was a 159 grind. <laughs> we grinded out every single right, game right. with them. We deserve that break. Well, I, I will admit this though, Hoff. So, the Mets got rained out Monday, which was the greatest thing that ever happened because it allowed you to kind of have that day to not have to watch Met baseball, especially going into this series. You figure, come on, the Braves are obviously going to win a game. The Mets are not going to win the division, but the Braves played Monday and lost. So at least now you go into Tuesday doubleheader with that shred of hope. Not that I wanted a shred of hope. I mean, looking back on it, if the Braves could have won Monday, that would have made things easier. But think about it. The Mets play a doubleheader. They win the first game, not easily, by the way. It was a relatively close game to the point where Edwin Diaz is coming in to get four outs. And the Braves are in a very, very close game. 
to the point where the Braves, now the Braves had a million opportunities in that game, but the Marlins had bases loaded two outs in the eighth inning. So I'm sitting there at City Field. I've got my six-year-old son asleep on my lap. It's misting outside. I got the Marlin Brave game on, and the Marlins are a swing away from at least getting us to 162, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't kind of sucked back in. Not thinking the Braves were going to lose, but there was just enough, just enough to think, hey, okay, wait a second. Maybe we get to game 162, and at least the pressure's on Atlanta. Uh, Obviously, that didn't work out because (laughs) I think it was Goshams hit that fly ball to right field. And it ended it, and the Braves won the NL East. And I think for that five-minute period where I was watching it at City Field, it was very surreal because even though we knew Sunday night the Braves had won the NL East, we said it on the Rico, I think we all knew it, when it becomes official and any dream is dead, even the smallest, even the faintest of dreams, it's the reality. And the reality sucks. And I had a lot of time over the last few days. Obviously, we've done shows, you with Tiki and Tyranny, me with Craig. You know, obviously bitching about what happened in the three games against Atlanta, thinking back to any game you want to come up with that, hey, if they win that game, everything's different. And I've been giving it a lot of thought over the last few days. And here's the truth. It's a very mixed, weird feeling. They won 101 games. That is an accomplishment. I know we also live in an era in which teams are winning 100 games a lot more than ever. And I acknowledge that. I understand that winning 100 games today is a little bit different than winning 100 games and say, 1977. I think the facts will back that up. Look how many teams win 100 games nowadays. But still, for this franchise, for us as Met fans, coming off the failures we've seen really since 2016, it's meaningful to win 100 plus games. It was a very, very good regular season. And that's how I'm going to phrase it. Very, very good. You win 100 plus games, you did something right. Obviously, to play your worst baseball in a three game series against the team that's been chasing you all year makes it very bitter. And it's not to make any excuses. That was a horrible weekend. Everything we said on the Rico over last weekend, I think we all stand by. Everything that scared us, everything that we were mad about, like it is what it is. I don't think any of us would ever walk back being pissed off about what happened. You should be pissed off. You're a fan. You watch a lot of games, you want to win the division. There's no apology for that. But I do admit, I think we all have to admit, that despite how bitter that weekend was against the Braves and any other week you want to pick up, I know a lot of people bring up the Cubs series, and that's fine. I respect that. To me, it's the Atlanta series. We'll get more into that in a little bit. They won 101 games. They were a very good team this year. It sucks that they were in a division that they even had a chance to lose based on having bad three days in early October. It sucks. It's bad luck. But you know what? Over the years, we've had some pretty good luck. In 2015, the Mets were in a terrible National League East. Let's be honest. The division was awful, and the Mets were able to take advantage of it. So there are going to be years in which you have bad luck. There are going to be years in which you have good luck. But I think we all need to take a step back and realize that a 101-win season is a very good season. And for me and for Pete, that's not a season we ever witnessed. I was too young in 1988. I don't remember it. I was obviously too young in 1986. I don't remember it. I wasn't born in 1969. So... Our best regular seasons coming into this one was what? I mean, what was the best regular season the Mets ever had? Probably 2006. And I think when you look at seasons years later, it's easy to poke holes in it and say, well, yeah, they won a lot of games in 2006, but look at the rest of the league. The rest of the league sucked. I think we'd all acknowledge that. And looking back on that 2006 team all these years later, 
especially with the health of the team going into the postseason, they didn't have any starting pitching. I mean, think about who they were throwing out there. Steve Troxell made a playoff start. Oliver Perez is making playoff starts. John Main is making playoff starts. Obviously, Tom, the, the choke artist Glavin, is making postseason starts. No El Duque, no Pedro. So you look back at it all these years later. Yeah, they had a great lineup. Yeah, they had a really good bullpen. But was that the best Met team of our lifetime? Was it? Was the 99 team the best Met team of our lifetime, 2000? On paper, when you look at the regular season, obviously the playoffs are going to be defined in its own story, and we'll see what happens in this postseason. But when you look at 162 games, if you are my age or younger, and your frame of reference doesn't include 1986 and doesn't include 1988, I ask you, and you can... Give me the answer, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's in the comments section of this podcast, what team was better? Just a regular season. And I know that's tough to do, but we don't have a postseason to judge this on. We don't. We have the regular season, 162 games. And what I would argue with just about anybody on, and I'd feel comfortable winning and convincing you on, is that this team is the best regular season Met team we've seen in our lifetime if you are my age and don't remember 88 and 86. And I know it's tough to leave out the playoffs. I get that. But you take a look at 1999. Very much a loved Met team. The Mets choked in 1999. They did. They were choking down the stretch. And the only reason they made the playoffs is because somehow the Reds lost enough games down the stretch for there to be a one-game playoff. I mean, think about it, right? So you want to say this Met team choked? And look, I don't know what word you want to use. Did they come up incredibly small in a series against the Atlanta Braves? Yes, no doubt about it. No one's going to argue that. Did they come up small against teams they were supposed to beat in September numerous times? They absolutely did. But did they quote-unquote choke like even the 99 team before? They got hot for the last five days and made the playoffs? No. This was a remarkably consistent baseball team. And that'd be the first thing I'd say to find the 2022 New York Mets regular season. I would say they were a remarkably consistent team. I don't think they ever had a losing month. They never had long losing streaks. They never had really crazy long winning streaks either, but they were a remarkably consistent team. And they weren't exactly a bastion of great health. Like, yes, Lindor didn't miss any significant time. He had the finger issue back in California. Alonzo got hit by a pitch, maybe missed a day or two. But those two guys, the two MVP position player-wise of this team, never missed an extended period of time. Jeff McNeil was mostly healthy. But Starling Marte has missed time, including recently. And really, to, to me, the top of the list when you talk about health is Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. Because this team going into the regular season, and certainly going into the playoffs, was defined by two aces. Defined by, oh my God, they got Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. When, when you look at how many combined starts they made, they didn't do enough. That's kind of funny. Like, I, I always hate the line, and I'm, I'm, I'm not using it per se here, but I guess I sort of am, and I feel bad about I hate the line of, what would you have said in March if I told you the Mets would win 101 games? I hate that line. It's stupid. It's asinine. I'm using it in a different context right now. If you don't approve of it, Pete, yell at me and say you're being a hypocrite. Totally fair. If I told you, <laughs> if I told you Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer would miss as much time as they would miss this season, what do you think would happen to this team? 
Am I being a hypocrite by uh, using it in that context? Or no, because it's completely different. Because it wasn't like the way everyone's using it is is in reference to our record and how the team has played. And basically, we had the division locked right. in May, according to Sal and other people. Uh, this is we didn't we expected them to be healthy and raring to go and have unbelievable seasons. And that's not what we got from Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer. No, absolutely. They made a combined 34 starts this season. And that is pretty much half of what you would hope. That's a little bit more than half, because I think if you have a healthy season, you're making nowadays 31 starts. I could be conservative and say 30 starts. And they made 34 combined. So what that tells you is that they won in a lot of different ways. They didn't win in the regular season because of dominant one-two punch of Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. They truly didn't. How'd they win this season? How did they win 101 games? I would define it this way. I started off by saying remarkably consistent. I stand by that. They never had extended losing streaks. And that's not a knock on teams that have it. Look, the New York Yankees finished with 99 wins. And not turning this into a Mets versus Yankees comparison where we're breaking down what division is better or whatnot. But the Yankees didn't have a consistent season. I think every Yankee fan would tell you that to the point where their extremes positively was much higher than the Mets. We'd all admit that. But then conversely, when they struggled the way they did in August, they were far worse than the Mets ever were. But at the end of the day, they ended up record wise in a very similar place. They won 99 games, which is a damn good season, just like winning 101 games is a damn good season. I think as a fan, I prefer the way the Mets did it because the highs and lows of losing 13 out of 17, but then, oh, we win 10 out of 11, I think would drive all of us nuts. So until the very end with the three-game series against Atlanta, and I know there's a lot of stuff before that that you can bring up and scream at the radio right now or your phone at, you're saying, Evan, what about the Cubs series? I get it. There's a lot of things you could point towards. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Mets were a remarkably consistent team, but they did it by being consistent. They did it, and this is why this guy's the MVP of my team. All right? Who's the MVP of the 2022 New York Mets? The MVP to me of the 2022 New York Mets is Edwin Diaz because they featured a closer that was as close to a living, breathing God as I think we as Met fans have seen in a very, very long time. I hate to bring up his name. Armando Benitez had some damn good regular seasons. (laughs) No, but seriously, if you're thinking, okay, John Franco, Billy Wagner, Tug McGraw, Jesse Orozco, Armando Benitez, and you're trying to come up with great, Closer seasons. I, I, I find it very tough to find anything that would match with Edwin Diaz did because he didn't blow a save since May. I think that game against the Giants, that wild game against the Giants, was the last time he blew a game. He was asked routinely at times, hey, come in and get three outs in the eighth inning. It's different, but we need you to do it. There are better hitters coming up in the eighth inning. Buck did it a bunch of times. Diaz responded every freaking time or how about the times when he went to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning and said okay now finish the job which he did so it wasn't strictly coming with a three-run lead put a couple of guys on base and escape he dominated most of the season he was put in very tough spots most of the season whether it's getting more than three outs or protecting a really small lead against good hitters and if you have an average closer not a bad closer An average closer. Take Kenley Jansen, who I know is painful to call average because he's not average against the Mets. He's God against the Mets. But Kenley Jansen blew seven saves this year, if I'm not mistaken. If you give the Mets an average closer, who you can't routinely ask, come in and get four or five outs, who will blow a game here and there and have a complete implosion, the Mets win five less games, six less games. And I know that's what war is all about. That's how you define it. Well, what about Lindor? He's a five-war player. Look, I'm just judging this without looking at war. I'm judging it by watching the team every day. Who could you not take away? If you took this guy away, everything's different. And to me, just me, that guy's Edwin Diaz. Obviously, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso in very different ways, because they're all very different players, had three elite-level seasons. Congratulations to Jeff McNeil winning the batting title. As a fan, does that do a lot for me? Not really, but for him, good for him. That's a great individual accomplishment. No question about it. I got no issue with him playing the final game of the season. But hey, I'm a guy who had no issue with Jose Reyes. Never had an issue with Jose Reyes. Why? Guys take themselves out of games winning a batting title all the time. I think what pissed people off about Reyes is that it was a bunt. He was a free agent. He left as a free agent. I think that that was really the thing that annoyed people. But Jeff McNeil had a great year this year, a consistent year this year. What I also loved about Jeff is that whether it's second base, right field, left field, don't matter. The guy was sturdy defensively and had, I'd say, a borderline gold glove year at second base. I think he was great defensively. Obviously, Lindor, up until the Atlanta series, I almost have to preface that now every time, had what I thought was a really clutch season. Had a really good season. His defense was very good. I'm being careful with how I say that because it's not a knock. He's very good defensively. I don't view him, and look, how many innings have we seen of him now? 
I don't look at him as oh world, oh my god, defensively at shortstop. I think he's very good. Okay, that's how I would define. He's very good. He's fine. And obviously, Pete. Pete had a, an awesome power season for a lineup that didn't feature a lot of power. Guy goes out and hits 40-plus home runs. Guy goes out and drives in a million runs. I thought, for the most part, he had a very clutch season. Again, if you take out the weekend against the Atlanta Braves that closed out the regular season. And look, Chris Bassett had a consistent season. Taiwan Walker, I thought, had a real solid season. It looked like he was going to have another second-half meltdown. He did not. And the other thing I got to give the Mets credit for, when you talk about how they won 101 games, their rotation depth did a really good job this season. You're never going to go through a season with five starters. You're always going to have to ask guys to step up. And it started right out of the gate with Tyler McGill on opening day. Tyler McGill, and I know we forget about it now because of the injuries, because he hasn't been dominant out of the bullpen. Now I think he's on the COVID list. But Tyler McGill for the first month of the season was damn good. In fact, let me remind you of a conversation that I heard on WFA numerous times. Hey, who do you take? Nestor Cortez or Tyler Miguel? Like they were in the same conversation for about a month. Obviously, that went away. Uh, so McGill did a very good job early on. I thought David Peterson throughout the regular season did a pretty good job filling in. Uh, how about Trevor Williams? And even Trevor Williams ending, putting a finish to the regular season by giving, you know, six innings and assuring himself he's not going to be on the wild card roster. But Trevor Williams did a really good job filling in as well. So rotation depth, which is always important, always important, was something that the Mets got this season. And it's a part of how we got here, which is 101 wins. The resiliency they showed this year. I remember we were making lists early on, best win of the year, best win of the year, best win of the year. And there are so many. They had a lot of great come from behind. They never give up wins. I think the test of time for me is still that game against the Phillies where they're down 7-1 in the ninth. But even that more recent game against the Philadelphia Phillies on that Sunday afternoon when they called up, uh, what's his name, Budo, to make his major league debut. He gets bombed. Mark Canna hits a game-tying home run. Then Gene Segura puts the Phillies ahead. Then Canna hits another home run, and the Mets won that game. Those two Philly games jump out at me, but it was it was a season in which they showed a lot of fight, a lot of resilience, and that's why before we ever break down the wild card series or get into what could cause this team to fail, I'll say this emotionally. When you have a season like we just witnessed, all those positives that it's easy to forget because they blew the division over the final few weeks, But when you think back to all those wins, does that sound like a team that's going to bow out early? That's what I I guess I hold my hat on, and I hope, I wrap my legs around and hope that that team, I just went through some of those wins, the game against the Cardinals earlier this season on the road where Arenado makes the error. And there's just so many of these games where you say to yourself, that's the team? That's going to blow the NL East and then lose two of three at home in a wild card series. Look, that may be the team. Maybe they do get bowed out early and we're left kind of looking around saying, how the hell did that happen? But I guess that's where deep down I try to have some faith that that team isn't going to go down early. That's not the team that's going to bow out early. Listen, I mean, the one thing I will say, you've nailed it with with a lot of these moments. The season as a whole has been, for 101 wins, 
you got to look at the highlights and say, wow, this is impressive what they've done. And like we talk about Pete Alonso setting records for RBI totals, for, for Francisco Lindor putting together, offensively speaking, one of the best seasons of all time as a shortstop. Like these are moments that like this is really a good team. And the res- like you said, the resilience, they've never bowed down to more than three in a row. Like uh, it, this, I, it's upsetting how the team didn't collapse, but they blew the division. Yeah. That, that, I think that's a softer way of putting it. They blew the division. They didn't collapse. The freaking great team. And they've found other ways to win at times we never expected it. I do think it's going to be a decently long playoff run. I would love to say World Series or bust. I think that's always our expectations. And I, I will go on record saying that I still think the Mets, Mets can win the World Series. They're, they're, they are, from the get-go of the season, a World Series contender. No doubt can about it. Can win the World Series and winning the World Series are completely different things. But, yeah, yeah, listen, they, they can, of course. I, I also think that anytime you get to this tournament, any team can. You know, once you're there, anything can happen. As far as the division is concerned, I've heard a lot over the last 72 hours about how they blew the division. And I totally get it. I was sitting there for two of the three games against the Cubs. That jumps out at you, that you cannot get swept at home by the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Losing two out of three to the Washington Nationals, which at the time, I remember saying on the Rico, let's all calm down. They haven't lost a three-game series at home all season long. It was right after beating the Dodgers two out of three. It's not the end of the world. And then even when they struggled on that road trip in Miami and Pittsburgh, they won both series. Like, so we were all pissed off. We weren't happy with what they were doing. They still won two out of three against the Marlins. And they won two out of three against the Pirates. I think the Cubs series, yes, bad, yes, frustrating, gets a lot of attention. But to me, I think it comes down to Atlanta. I really do because at the end of the day, you're playing your rival mano a mano. You've got your three best starting pitchers on the mound. And all you need to do is win a game. Not win the series, not sweep them, win a game. This isn't 1985 where you got to go to St. Louis and beat them every time. You have to go to Atlanta and win a game. So I've had a few days to think about it. And I've had some sleepless nights thinking about the Mets. I'll tell you the biggest sleepless night I had, I kid you not. And this is completely selfish, but I want to be honest with you. I could, and I'll finish that thought in a second, but I could not sleep Tuesday night to Wednesday. That was the night the Braves officially won the NL East, and the Padres officially locked in the five spot to assure that it would be Mets-Padres in the wild card round. And the reason I couldn't sleep is I needed to know what time Friday's game was. I was so fearful that it was going to be a day game. And again, purely selfish, I admit it. My dad, as a season ticket holder since 1973, brainwashed me to be a Met fan. And one of the ways he did it is we went to a lot of games. Me, my sister, my dad, my mom, not as much. He was never into baseball. But as a family, we grew up at Chase Stadium. So when they finally made the playoffs in 1999, I'm 16 years old at that time, so I'm a little bit older. Me and my dad went to every playoff game in 1999. We went to every playoff game in 2000. In 2006, this is a true story. I was working at Sirius Satellite Radio doing a job on Maxim Radio where I did nights. And I didn't love doing the job. I admit it. I, you know, I was making a decent living. I didn't love it. I had been there for two years and I wanted to do something else. 
And I put in my resignation letter in September of 2006. And the real reason I picked that moment and that time to resign from my job is because I could not miss the Mets in the postseason for a job I didn't love. And so, yeah, I could easily say, I quit my job to watch the Mets in the playoffs. And it's partially true, but I do, if I'm being honest, I didn't love the job. I was going to quit at some point anyway. So 2006, went to every postseason game. 2015, now I'm doing middays with Joe. I'm my own man. Every postseason game. I haven't missed a Met playoff game, home Met playoff game, since 1988 because I was five and didn't know what was going on. So I'm going to sleep at night thinking, God, if this is a four o'clock game, like we'll have fun with it. We'll talk about the game on the air. I was thinking about, we're going to have a viewing party. Like we'll make the best of it for the radio audience, but my God, I'm going to be freaking miserable. So the whole night off, I kept waking up, refreshing my phone to see, is there a start time? Is there a start time? Is there a start time? Wednesday morning comes. Still no start time. So I wait until Craig, I know, is done with his TV show. And he told this story on the air, but it's absolutely true. 9.32, I call up Craig. He's like, yeah, what's up? I said, Craig, get Manfred on the phone immediately. He's like, what are you complaining about? I said, can you just ask him what time this freaking Met game is on Friday night? That's all I need to know. You know what I prefer. Just get the info. And Craig's like, you know what? Okay. Five minutes later, I see I got a missed call. I guess my phone didn't ring. Craig, quickly dial back. And Craig, who had a chance to F with me. Hoff knows all about that. Let's play with each other's Twitter account. I mean, he's an effer. Like, he'll F with you. He did not F with me. He said, Evan, you're going to be happy. And as soon as he said that, I wanted to just kiss him in the, on the lips, even though we weren't together. And he said, yeah, you're going to get an eight o'clock start. I was so, so excited as it. And I admit, completely selfish. We all have stories like this. Maybe you're the opposite listening right now. I needed it to be a four o'clock game. Screw you, Evan. Whatever you prefer, I totally get it. Maybe you have a wedding. I don't know. Maybe you got some plans you can't get out of. Totally respect it. But when I heard the news was eight o'clock, I did a dance. I did a dance. And look, if the Mets go on a deep postseason run, is there inevitably going to be a postseason game? that we're going to be on the air for probably. And I admit that. And I accept that. I just wanted to delay the inevitable as long as possible. Anyhow, I'm trying to remember the point I was going to make before I got into that. Uh, postseason is important. I don't know, but it was a great story. Oh, you like that story? Was that good? <laughs> Dude, that was fantastic. I mean, I, I know I've had like sleepless nights over like fantasy weeks and stuff <laughs> like that, but not over the start time of a game. Yeah, man, I mean, come on. Dude, you you have to admit if that that would affect you if you know like I can't go to this game if it's at this time and not only not be able to go to the game it's not like I'd be able to sit at home and watch it I'd be on the radio that's like the most torturous place to be while watching a playoff game oh I was concerned when before like I do the start times too like I I had uh I bought the tickets prior to know anything and I'm like oh wait there's a possibility they could start at like one o'clock that screws me. So I, I I bought the tickets with purpose of never actually having to go to the game, and then obviously when they blew the division, I'm like, oh man, I gotta I have to figure out how this time works out. So <laughs> it it works out for everybody. Yes. By the way, how how early are you gonna get there? Because I plan to get there like by like six o'clock, the latest. 
because I want to get there and like enjoy myself, well, and, like tailgate or do something. As you as you may or may not know, we have a radio show that ends at six thirty, so I will be on the Long Island Railroad like I've done all season long. Basically, I take the Li Double R to Met games and have my car parked before the uh, the day before we do a show. So I'll take the Li Double R over, probably get over around seven, and that gives you a good hour before first pitch, in which. I'd expect a crazy excited atmosphere. The price, I, I do, I must say, the prices are insane. And I mean the prices from the New York Mets. So as a season ticket holder, they give you a really big discount on ticket prices, which is great. I appreciate that. When you buy 81 games, you should get something for it. So I got my tickets. I'm fine. Like the prices to me are actually rather reasonable. But then I was looking at the game by game tickets that they're offering to the public. I did not buy any. Don't worry. I did not buy any more tickets than I need. But the prices were nuts, like to the point where I was saying to my dad, man, I, I think they're going to sell out because I think there's great excitement to see the Mets in the postseason. They always sell out. But the prices were so high, like so crazy high that you may do OK on the secondary market because you may pay less than whatever someone paid to buy them to begin with because they're so high. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be able to buy individual playoff tickets for this round, at least, and then flip it for much of a profit because the face value is so high. So look, at the end of the day, I hope the crowd is a hundred percent packed. I hope the crowd is loud. I expect it to be loud and it's going to be good to have playoff baseball back because it has been a long time. Six years ago is a very, very long time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think I remember my point now from about eight minutes ago. I I view losing this division as the Brave series. I really do. It's, I, I understand the arguments. Look at all the bad teams, this, this, and this, this. They were mono mano with the team they were battling all year where they needed to win a game, and they failed. They failed, and look, it's disappointing. I think it's okay as a Met fan to say the conclusion of this season was massively disappointing. No doubt about it. That doesn't mean I'm giving up. I don't think I ever said anywhere as angry as I've been, whether it's on Rico Bronia or with Carton and Roberts. I don't think I ever said they're dead. Joe has gone further than I have. Joe has said all year, this team cannot get to a freaking World Series if they don't win the division. And I've said this to him. I disagree with you. They can go to a World Series because A, they're good enough to, but B, and I think this is going to be fascinating to watch on all sides. The Yankees are going to deal with it on one side. And that is how teams respond to having five days off. We all witnessed the Colorado Rockies in 2007 steamroll the National League, have way too much time off, 
and then be overmatched in the World Series against Boston. It kind of happened to us in 2015 after we steamrolled the Chicago Cubs. So <coughs> I definitely think that second round, that divisional series, can be real dicey. Who knows? Maybe we're going to see elite teams like the Dodgers and the Astros get picked off early. Is it a tougher road? No question about it. Look, a part of why winning the division to me was so important is, A, avoiding this series, avoiding a anything-can-happen best of three. But also, yeah, I, I understand the Cardinals and Phillies are not nearly as good as the L.A. Dodgers, and I understand I'd rather have more games at home. Like, we all get that. The road is more difficult. But we have seen this a lot over the years, whether it's the Nationals in 2019, whether it's the Giants and the Royals in 2014. There's a lot of examples of this where you can still win. I mean, just because the road's tougher doesn't mean you can't win. I think what's challenging for all of us is that we experienced playoff games in Atlanta last weekend and things went so badly that it's easy to kind of think of the way Lindor played, the way Alonzo played, and kind of bring that negativity with us to the real playoffs because we just saw them in big spots come up incredibly small. So I think we have an ability as fans to walk and chew gum at the same time. You can admit that winning 101 games is a really good accomplishment, and the Mets had a really good regular season while also saying it ended in a massively disappointing way because both things are true. It was incredibly disappointing to not win the National League East. I mentioned earlier to me Edwin Diaz is the MVP of this team over 162. Do you agree with that, or would you go elsewhere on team MVP over the course of the 162? Uh, I look at it this way. Um, you know, I, I say this, and not just as a full comparison, people that know this, I think that Aaron Judge, if he wasn't with the Yankees, they wouldn't be a playoff team. I just don't think I, he won so many games for them. I think that could be said about Edwin Diaz and the New York Mets because we know we've been through those struggles. Edwin Diaz, hell, was one of those guys who struggled in the, in the ninth inning and we're like, damn, if we only mm-hmm. had an elite closer that can close down, there's no doubt. You've had a lot of guys that contributed, but Edwin Diaz himself put us in lockdown mode in that ninth inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, where we didn't have to worry. I think he's no doubt easy. Listen, Pete Alonso could be second fiddle. Francisco Lindor could be second fiddle too because they had a hell of a season. But without Edwin Diaz, they wouldn't win games. No doubt. So the Mets are going to open up this wild card series on Friday night at City Field. We'll do a separate podcast. We'll be joined by Sal Licata, who I know has taken a lot of heat from some of some Met fans and obviously the Atlanta Braves for the... Why? Tell me why. <laughs> well, look, he took heat from us back in June when he came on. I gave him crap because I disagreed with him that, quote unquote, the NL East is over. But I guess I give him credit for this. Even though he was dead wrong and I disagreed with him at the time, the poor guy has taken a lot of slings and arrows, not just from us as Met fans, but from Atlanta, like to the point where he became, it appears to be a rallying cry by the Atlanta Braves. Now, I think there are some on-air hosts who 100% would say, this is great. Like, this is fantastic. I love the attention I'm getting. And I'm sure Sal, like there's a part of him that likes it. Like, I'm not denying that, but I've known Sal for a very long time. We've had our battles. He is a diehard Met fan. It kills him that they didn't win the NL East. Like, you want to tell me there's a small part of him that likes the attention? Okay, fine. I totally get that. But the vast majority of that human being 
is miserable that the Mets failed him. So he's taking a lot of heat from Mets fans. Look, the guy made a prediction. He turned out to be wrong. But he's as good of a Mets fan as you'll know, and he'll be with us for our preview edition. But he's taken quite a, a quite a few slings and arrows over the last couple of days, that's for sure. So I, I saw the tweet from, I think, uh, Tyler Matzik or something yes. like that from the Braves, yes. right? Was it? Yes. Yeah. So do you think – I think most of our audience has seen the movie Major League. Do you think they have, like, a photo of Sal and they're, like, <laughs> undressing him with every single win? That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tremendous. It's, it's – What would be – and Go ahead. What would be, just one question. What, what would have been worse, by the way? Because the one thing I'm thinking of – listen, the Mets swept the Washington Nationals fine. But what would have been worse for everybody is if – if the, say this the season started on time, the Nationals game was had been at the beginning of the season, and the Mets had lost the last game of the season to lose the division. What would have oh, been? What, what so, worse? like, if the Mets go in basically in the same situation, except there's no lockout, like you said, they are up a game, final three games. If they lose two out of three, it means they win any one of these games, they win the division, they clinch on the field. The only way they don't is if they lose all three. It would be, believe it or not, it'd be worse than what we just witnessed. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I, you could argue, come on, guys, it's the same thing. It sort of isn't because you had that, well, there's still three more games left. But, yes, it would have made it far worse. So what are you trying to say? Thanks, Rob Manfred. Like, what are you trying to say? I don't know. I just thought about that. We were talking about the misery of, like, Sal, how much pain <laughs> he's in. It could have been worse. Yes. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been worse. So we'll preview the San Diego series. The headline, obviously, going into this series is Buck Showalter made a very interesting announcement. He announced that Max Scherzer is going to pitch game one of this wild card series and made no commitment to Jacob DeGrom in game two. Now, take Scherzer, take DeGrom. Names are meaningless for the sake of this discussion. Both guys are going to pitch in this series. It's just a... or. Both guys are going to pitch again. The thought that Buck may have right now is something we have discussed. I know I brought it up to Craig a couple days ago on the air. I've made it clear that in this new format, best of three, if I've got two aces like this, I'd pitch my first. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, my God. (coughs) I'm like the Mets in Atlanta. I kid you not. Oh, no. I apologize. Um, I would start my ace. If I lose that first game, obviously I use my second ace in game two. But if I win the first game, why would I pitch my second ace in game two when I could either hold him back for a winner-take-all game three or have that guy saved for the NLDS? So I put this on Twitter the other day. I reversed it. I had DeGrom starting game one. And we'll get into the differences between DeGrom and Scherzer, the reasons for why you would start each guy in game one in a second. But 55% of Met fans, or at least those who voted, agreed with my take and maybe what Buck's going to do, which is I'll hold off my big arm number two until I need him. And I keep seeing people saying, don't get cute. How could you risk not pitching Jacob DeGrom? Nobody's risking not pitching Jacob DeGrom. Like, the concept is very simple. If the Mets lose on Friday night and they're down 0-1, DeGrom pitches game two. You cannot have your season end with DeGrom not pitching in a playoff game, okay? 100%. This is my opinion. I think this is the way Buck is going. If you win game one, great. 
Here's Chris Bassett for game two. And if I could win them both, I got the Grom game one division series sets him up to pitch twice in a best of five against the Dodgers. Doesn't that sound eerily familiar? It makes perfect sense. Now, as far as Scherzer DeGrom is concerned, and I brought this up a few weeks ago, I don't know if Buck is thinking this, but I'm going to walk you through my thought on why Scherzer starting game one would make sense over Jacob DeGrom. And I think I gave you this point a few weeks ago, Hoff, where I said you always have to think about who is available and able to pitch on short rest. Max Scherzer's done it. In fact, Max Scherzer's done it a bunch of times. We've seen him on two days rest out of the bullpen. We've seen him make starts on three days rest out of the bullpen. Jacob DeGrom has never pitched on short rest. And considering he's made 11 starts in a year plus, I don't think anybody expects him to pitch on short rest. And even if he does, how effective would he be? So let's play the game together. Let's do a little math. We're going to have a little math game here. Max Scherzer pitches Friday night. If the Mets could get to the divisional series, if they just get there, I don't care if it's in two or if it's in three, rest one is Saturday, rest two is Sunday, rest three is Monday, okay? You could have Scherzer on three days rest in game one of the divisional series. Well, why would you do that? So you could have him twice in the divisional series. If you don't feel comfortable starting him on short rest, He could very well be a weapon out of the bullpen or get the game two start. And if he starts game two, that allows him to pitch game five on short rest, which probably makes the most sense. That's why Scherzer in game one over DeGrom, if you're thinking big picture, which you should, because it doesn't hurt you in the short term. So for anyone screaming at me right now saying, how could you think about the divisional series? You have to get through the wild card series. This has no negative impact on the wild card series. Scherzer and DeGrom are both going to pitch in the wild card series if need be. I'm going to say this again so I don't get tweets saying, well, you're getting too cute. No, no, no. Scherzer and DeGrom, assuming Jake's not like secretly hurt, by the way, let's just throw that caveat on for a second. Both of those guys will pitch if necessary in the wild card series. But you give yourself the option to say, oh, we won game one. Great. Here's the ball, Chris Bassett. Go win game two. And to me, the reason why Scherzer makes sense over DeGrom is that ability to come back on short rest. You give yourself a chance for Max Scherzer to pitch twice in that series against the Dodgers. So let me walk you through this now. Best case scenario, okay? Mets beat the Dodgers Friday night. Uh, Padres, not Dodgers. Thinking ahead. Mets beat the Padres Friday night. Chris Bassett starts game two, and the Mets win game two. Okay, DeGrom is now set to pitch game one of the divisional series. And guess who's online to pitch game two? Hmm. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the fifth day for Max Scherzer. So you have created an avenue where DeGrom and Scherzer pitch game one and game two of the series against the Dodgers. Now, The Mets need all three games to beat the Padres, right? Scherzer loses game one. DeGrom comes back and pitches game two. Um, Bassett pitches game three. You have still positioned yourself where if you've advanced, okay, Cookie Carrasco, Taiwan Walker game one, not ideal. Max Scherzer can pitch game two. And then subsequently, if you so choose, game five on short rest. 
I think Buck Showalter is thinking short rest, big picture. And if you're thinking short rest, big picture, same thing for the Yankees with Garrett Cole. Say what you want about the season he's had. Garrett Cole has pitched on short rest. Garrett Cole pitched a game five against the Rays in 2020 on short rest, and he was damn good. I want the guys who I know can do it. Scherzer's done it. DeGrom's never done it. So I know there's going to be a lot of talk about this. What's going on? They don't trust DeGrom. He's not the ace. He sucks. He's going to Atlanta. I'm just giving you my thinking, which we had talked about before. I don't know how much time we had spent on it, that rest has to be a factor. And Scherzer gives you that weapon. So I like it. I'm in favor of it. Do you agree, Pete? Or do you think Buck's a moron? No, this is what you have to do because I still think, and it's, uh, we, we talked about this, I, I my feelings are DeGrom is the one you can't, whether or not you trust him or not, the one thing you can't trust him is in a short, on short rest. We just we just don't know how that is. So I agree. Scherzer game one I think is a no-brainer. And I have no problem throwing Bassett game two because I think overall in my own world, I think Bassett, even though he had a terrible game versus the Braves, been the most consistent it could still give you a really good opportunity to beat the Padres on no I want to make this clear though if the Mets lose game one DeGrom has to pitch game two I'm not uh oh yeah that's that's we're not we're not like you said we're not doing a Zach Britton here yes okay DeGrom's pitching if if 100% so I think that's what and you probably tell the guys this I don't think Buck needs to announce it you know why the heck does and Buck's always done that in the past where he plays these games of I'm not going to tell the opposing manager what I'm going to do so I think that's the strategy he's going to employ. I think it makes perfect sense. I don't believe it's getting too cute, as some people like to claim, because, again, to make this clear, you are not risking DeGrom not pitching in the wild card series. We'll have another podcast that will come out on uh, Thursday, and we'll talk to Sal to get his thoughts on this, his thoughts on the Braves using him as a, as a rallying cry, and obviously overall thoughts we'll preview the wild card series against the San Diego Padres, who should be on the roster, who should not be on the roster. But take this in your pipe, Met fans, and smoke it a little bit. 101 wins. We may look back at this season horribly if they lose two straight to the Padres or even lose to the Dodgers in the divisional series. But for now, this was one of the great regular seasons we've probably ever witnessed. Keyword, regular season. But now, the postseason begins. That's right, Rico Bronia Playoff Edition. And, and as far as our podcast during the playoffs is concerned, here's what I would warn you. So there's a game, 8 o'clock on Friday night, okay? It's a very late game. I will be at the game. I think Hoff is going to the game that night. And the following morning, I'll be on the air with Joe. So I would lay this out. We are not going to do a Rico Bronia following game one. But we will do a Rico Bronia following game two which could be a celebration, it could be a funeral, or it could be a preview of Game 3. And we will do a Rico Bronia, obviously, after Game 3. So as far as after playoff games are concerned, I'll give you this schedule right now. We will definitely do one after Game 2. We will definitely do one after Game 3. One after Game 1, well, that Rico Bronia will be at 10 a.m. with Joe Beningo and me Saturday morning. That It'll be like a live Rico Bronia, if you will. But anyhow, really appreciate you downloading and listening. I'll be with Craig at 2 o'clock. We're actually going to do full shows on Thursday and Friday. And obviously, Pete producing Fatiki and Tierney. Thank you for listening to the final regular season edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode 
of the Rico Bronio podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.